This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. All right, Sherry. The courtship is over. Mm-hmm. Oh, the adoration. Oh, the chevaux You are my peanut. I am your brittle. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today to celebrate the big pink Valentine's Day bow Joe's mom has on this podcast... We're chatting friendship, love, and money with the founder of the Economy Conference and host of the Optimal Daily Finance Podcast, Diana Miriam. In our headline, what do you hire advisors to do? Would you prefer they were market wizards or that they created a nice, boring collection of funds? We'll find out what advisors are actually doing. Plus, we'll hear why stacker David thought he'd better call Saul. CI and OG. And then I'll share some celebratory trivia. And now three guys who spent all morning fighting over which one gets to claim me as their valentine. It's Joe OG and comedian and host of the Crazy Money Podcast, Paul Ollinger. Just made that up right there on the spot. Kind of kicked ass, didn't it? <laughs> it's pretty good. If you don't, don't say so yourself. Hey everybody, happy Wednesday. Sit back, relax. You found us. We're so happy you're here. We're about to have an hour of financial fun with, uh, well, we've got our special guest here, but the guy across the card table who we refer to as special quite often, Mr. OG. I'm very special. Thank you for noticing. Absolutely. 15 years. It's about time. Down at the end of the table, a guy that we waited for Valentine's Day to have on because we love him so much. Mr. Paul Ollinger joins us. 
Dude. It's good to be with you. I love you too, Joe. Doug, is that your Stanley Cup? Is that Did you get one of those Stanley? It's the small one. I got the 68-ouncer. It's just the small one. Yeah. I don't like this no, controversy. It's, a, it's a brook trout. As Dennis Miller would say, that, that drink has an undertow. <laughs> That's right. The, the moon affects its tides. It's so big. Whenever anybody says Stanley Cup, I think of these you know fashionable women carrying around a, an NHL trophy. Yes. Yeah. Is it just me? I, I believe Stanley Cup was a hockey trophy before it was a, a vessel in which to uh, carry your kombucha. Is that the next trend where everybody's carrying around an NHL Kim- trophy? Kombucha. Could be. Could be. I have two cans of kombucha in my refrigerator and I haven't yet drank them. I, uh, they've been there for I maybe four months. I have no idea. It's going to change your life. Two cans of kombucha sounds dirty. <laughs> Everybody's wondering, is this a finance podcast? What the hell are we doing? Paul, tell everybody about the Crazy Money Podcast, my friend. Joe is a two-timer on the Crazy Money Podcast, so he should know. Uh, he's a recidivist guest on Crazy Money. Five years, 200 episodes, nothing compared to what you guys have done. But I explore the connection between money and happiness through the lens of my guests' journeys, professional, financial, etc. And uh, in addition to Joe, I've had smaller people on like LL Cool J, uh, Judd Apatow, Moby, uh, Moby, and winners of the Nobel Prize, Heisman Trophy, and uh, Olympic gold medals. It's been a lot of fun. Nearly as good as me. It's Joe, everybody else. If you're not watching this, my hand is is very high for Joe, and everybody else is down here. Joe, why aren't we getting his sloppy seconds? (laughs) (laughs) We take any one of those people that he just casually waved his hand off as he's... Talking about Nobel laureates. Well, when you have a podcast as big as mine, Joe Joe charitably described it as the best podcast nobody listens to. So thanks. (laughs) Did I say that? Thanks to having friends like Joe. (laughs) Appreciate that, buddy. Shots fired. Oh, we did it. good. It's fantastic. You know, growing these days without a big platform like you guys have, big time. You know, I knew you before you went corporate. By the way, you guys are all (laughs) sellouts. I'm just wait. Just I'm just. Will you tell me where to sell out? Can you just show me? Got a nasty addiction called money. I need to sign to give my soul away to get a big audience. Because if I get a big audience, then I'll be happy. He's like, how do I get some overlords too? If I could have some Westwood One overlords, that would be great. (laughs) And by the way, you've no idea how happy we are with our overlords. We just skip to work every day, Paul. Good. This is what makes you happy. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear. Yes. We got a great show today. Diana, Miriam, and I talking about relationships and money. And uh, Diana, after dating for uh, five or six years, getting married this year, oh. and and she waited a long, long time and uh, had a, a lot of. Did you just call her old? Did you? I think you just called her I old. I did not. I just said she waited a long time. That's so, male. but she started thinking about it when she was six. Mm. So, am I working my way out of it? Probably not. <laughs> it's getting creepier. Just keep moving. <laughs> We'll get HR in here while you guys listen to this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. In Indiana, that's totally legal. Yeah. 
great. Fantastic. Lisa Curry, our writer, is from Indiana. Oh. And I think, Doug, I think she'd agree. Yeah. I mean, she slams on Indiana all the time because she feels like she's allowed to. I don't know if they're going to take it so well from you, Paul. I've been there once. No, twice. Anyway, no, I don't claim Indiana is my home. Are you really have to be from Indiana to slam on Indiana? Is that really? It's not like it's a religion or a race. You know, it's a geography. Everybody else takes aim at Ohio. Is Indiana the new Ohio? I don't know. I was just, I just was thinking Midwestern states. I'm from Georgia and I just, I, people trash the South all the time. So I thought I'd, you know, I'd, I'd redirect it toward the Midwest. Well, let's do some good rips on Georgia while you guys listen to this. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. Want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equalizing lender. You guys have ads? Man, that's incredible. Is it possible? You, you, wait, you guys have revenue? There's, what? What? You, what? I didn't know that was a thing. Podcast revenue. I've got a negative monetization strategy and I'm scaling it. and make it up on volume that's exactly right that's exactly right my wife is like don't even look at my shopping bags i know what you spend on your podcast it's important though it's who i am it's an expression of myself it was funny dr drew was at podfest this year talking to all of the podcasters out there two-time crazy and he said has he really been really yes dr drew are you kidding my second he was my second stop just stop just please stop Nobody all the listens. flexes. Nobody listens. We've had this for like four minutes and you flex and nonstop. Guess who I've had? Joe, I'll take Paul out to dinner. I'll be the little spoon. <laughs> you don't get, that's what you it don't takes. get 10,000 downloads a month with just any guests. <laughs> Joe Saul C. High. So we, we, we actually got a show to do. But, but anyway, Dr. Drew told all these podcasters. He's like, you know, I'll tell you this about podcasting. Keep your real job. He goes, and I know half of you are saying, this is my real job. And he's like, is it really? I had to have a talk with my accountant uh, a couple months ago. He goes, do you know about the hobby tax? Do you, do you know what that? <laughs> I was like, Ho- no, it's not a hobby. This is my identity. Paul needs a sponsor to pay him $4 so that it's not a hobby this year. He goes, you ma- you actually had some revenue associated with uh, it, it some income associated with comedy this year, but very little associated with podcasting. I was like, I spoke at two events. I spoke at two events. Oh, that's difficult. Anyway. Paul Ollinger's here, if you guys couldn't tell. And Diana Merriam's coming up. So let's get to our headline. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from Investment News. And here is something interesting, OG, uh, written by Greg Greenberg. New study shows advisors choosing 
separately managed accounts over model portfolios. Listen, we're going to get a little nerdy on our audience today. Models are growing less super lately, as at least when it comes to advisor investment portfolios, Greg writes. According to data released last Tuesday from analytics and advisory firm Escalant Financial Services, fewer financial advisors expect to increase allocations and model investment portfolios over the next few years. Instead, opting for separately managed accounts. The report attributes the shift to advisors seeking increased customization, their desire to align investment strategies with client expectations. Let's dive into what the heck this means, OG, because this I don't know if this is a trend or what. So we've got this perfectly fine, maybe a little boring, look at it once or twice a year ETF model, or we can hand over our money to a separate money manager who's going to buy and sell individual stocks for us. And advisors are like, yeah, I'll take a hot money manager for a thousand. I think that some of this is a, is a rise from the direct indexing motif that's going on where people are saying, well, I don't need to buy an S&P 500 fund. I can go create one of my own. And with fractional shares being able to be purchased at most every brokerage company now, for some reason, people think this is a much more efficient way. And in some cases, it can be. I mean, with big dollar amounts where you can tax loss harvest out of one particular position or something like that. But for the average person, this is ridiculous waste of time and energy and cost, frankly, because, you know, all of that costs money. They have offices they need to uh, you know, pay rent on and staff to employ and whatnot. So I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. The juice of SMAs. Yeah. Yeah. In certain circumstances, it can make a lot of sense. For example, let's say that you have a uh, large appreciated position and you need to build around it. And the way to do that sometimes is to hire a manager to say, okay, here's this, you know, position that I have. Maybe I worked at a company and I got a lot of options and, you know, all these different cost bases and stuff like that. You can say, here's that money plus my other money. And now help me kind of build a strategy around making sure that this is not, you know, a large concentrated position and help me get out of it over, over mm. a period of time, you know, mm -hmm. to help offset gains and losses. But for the average investor, just buying a S&P fund versus direct indexing an S&P fund, who wants to have a, a brokerage statement that has 600 pages on it? I mean, the, what kind of sense does that make? You have one line item. It says the same thing. I mean, it's almost, it's, it's a different variation of, I have three different S&P funds. I got one from Vanguard. I got one from iShares and I got one from BlackRock. I'm diversified. It's like, no, you're an idiot. You have the same thing in three places. It's like, that's not diversif diversified. You have the same, literally the exact same holdings. So just have one. Make your life simple. Paul, for people that don't know your backstory, your backstory, super interesting. We told that story the first time you were on Stacking Benjamins, and we'll link to it in the show notes. But the very short story was, was that uh, uh, you were with uh, this little tiny company called Yahoo. I think yes. At one point, and maybe one that was like a like a Facebook, where you were with a Facebook as well. We call it Meta now. We call it Meta. We're, sorry, yes. that's right. Yeah, your overlords, your former overlords, the Zook, we call him, might come down if we call it Facebook. The still. Zook. Yes, yes, yes. I, my my overlords. Uh, he was in front of Congress last week. The Zook just paid himself seven hundred million dollars on a dividend. That's a that's not bad. Like, hey, I think start. we should issue dividends. Good start. 
You can feed cows in your in your Hawaii uh, escape hatch uh, a lot of beer yes. with seven hundred million dollars. <laughs> you can. By the way, I want to commend you for this Valentine themed uh, Valentine's Day themed uh, segment here that we've got. My wife and I this year are going to we're going to open a bottle of rosé and we're going to read each other's sonnets from Investment News. That's how we're going to celebrate. <laughs> We're going to talk about you know mutual funds versus separately managed accounts. It's and then and then it's going to get hot and heavy, Joe. Wow, way to keep the fires burning. That, that is. <laughs> it sounds like according to OG, a statement that size will keep the fire burning for hours. You can you got to shred your statement, yeah. <laughs> so you had this existential like, what's life all about? Because you had lots of money at a youngish age. I'm not calling you old, but at a youngish age. So I would have to imagine that you've had, you've used financial advisors before. You know, it's funny, uh, coincidentally, I'm just gone through changing advisors, 18 years with a, with my former advisor. And uh, we, we shifted teams, jumped ship, went with other people. And so we went through several pitches from new potential advisors. And all of them said, you need SMAs because with SMAs, you can do more aggressive tax loss harvesting and you can do, you can play the options game uh, in a way you can't with mutual funds. Oh, gee, you're nodding your head. Well, I mean, there's some, I mean, yes, you can't, you can't do options with mutual funds, but you can with ETFs, especially the biggest trading ones. So that's able to be Hey, done. I'm just telling you what they told me. I don't know anything. I'm pretty unsophisticated when it comes to this stuff. Well, I mean, part of this is let's try to make this as complicated as possible so that it looks like it's too hard to handle on your own. You know? That's what I was wondering, OG, is how much of this is advisors trying to be a wizard, right? And go, hey, look at we can beat it with all these 50,000 moving parts versus having something very, very concrete that, frankly, 90% of America could do. Well, on the other hand, uh, maybe some advisors want to keep their costs low by keeping it very simple and not having to staff up to the point where they have to actively manage your, your accounts. Well, and the fact remains that you can't get away from simplicity is traditionally better. Lower cost puts money in investors' pockets. And the facts around investing are nobody knows how to outperform the market because if that one person existed, then that person would manage all the money for everyone. And since you don't know what's going to happen in the future, we know that active trading isn't worth it, generally speaking, in terms of the cost to value ratio. It doesn't mean it doesn't work. It means that you can't prove it's going to work in advance. And so you write a big check for it, you pay for it, and then maybe it works, but 70% of the time it doesn't. So just for the average investor, unless you've got some fringe stuff going on, uh, it just doesn't make any sense to, to make your life more complicated, especially around something like this, where you should spend most of your time on is how do I get out of debt and stop paying 20% interest on my credit cards? Or, you know, how do I buy a rental property? Or how do I send my kids to college or pay less in taxes versus how do I sell 10 calls on Microsoft share so I can get, you know, 18 bucks this quarter of, of option income. It's, it's just, I, I just don't see the, I just don't see the value in it for, for an average you're telling me to get a job. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> no, I'm saying the exact you and my opposite. Wife, I'm saying like, would it kill you? Would it I'm kill you this, to have a paycheck? This would be a job. Having all that stuff makes it turn into a job right. versus going. And what's really funny is you can do like overlay analysis on this stuff too, and you can say like, I've got all this diversification. Look how great it is. And then you do a an overlay versus the S and P or against a Russell or whatever, and it goes, Oh yeah, you're 99 percent correlated to that anyway. So you have all this complication. The idea with diversification is to have things that are not correlated. So you have 
one thing that goes up and another thing that goes down, you have an opportunity to sell at a profit and reinvest those money, those dollars at, you know, at a, at a lower value and another asset class that's undervalued presently. That's the, that's the benefit of diversification it's uncorrelated assets. When you have this whole 30 pages of statement and it looks like one big giant expensive mutual fund, it's like, why not just have one mutual fund? It would be a lot easier. And your CPA will uh, like you better. There's the phrase that Mrs. Ollinger will love tonight. Just light a couple candles, put on some Barry White and say overlay analysis. (laughs) There you go. Nothing gets them all all hot and bothered like overlay analysis. What did you think, by the way, when you were looking, Paul, at different advisors? I'm wondering how the different uh, pitches were to get the, the Ollinger family to use their services. Well, you know, they're all a little bit different. Big corporate banks have a very different feel than independent advisors do. You know, one of the things is I'm, as I'm talking to some of these big corporate bank people, you're looking at these guys and you're like, okay, how long are you going to stay at this bank until, you know, another one of the big sexy firms comes along and offers to buy you out for 10 or $20 million. And then I got to go do this all over again in three or four years. Because what's happening and what I believe would happen with our former advisors is there's some private equity behind coming after rolling up these regional firms and they've got to come in and, and shove 30% price increases on their clients. And they do so in, in very inartful ways. And so there's always, there's a lot of money in this space. There's a lot of consolidation in this space. And so when I'm thinking about a big corporate guy, I'm like, all right, how long until he jumps ship some other place? And so as opposed to a smaller independent person who's trying to build their own thing, build equity in their own practice. And you know that could certainly happen to them, but probably a little further down the line. So you like that better? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel like I need to have Goldman Sachs be my advisor, you know, and I, nothing against Goldman Sachs, but you know, the, the bigger banks are generally less flexible on pricing. They're geared towards people who have lots and lots and lots of money. And in the world of rich people, I'm a pretty small fish, right? I mean, the intra 1% slope is a very steep curve. And I think in a lot of these places, if you don't have 50 or $100 million, they don't really give a damn about you. Paul, your comedy would never get a bigger laugh than if you called up Goldman Sachs and said, would you be my advisor? <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, that's exactly right. That's exactly I mean, what, what do you want to pay? 75 basis points? Uh, that'd be the huge laugh. That'd be the big laugh. That'd be the, you know. Uh, hello? Hello? Right. Hello? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Tough room. It's, it's gone. It is interesting to me to see how different firms position themselves and how many of these firms are talking about comprehensive financial planning, Paul, versus just managing money in SMAs versus, you know, in some mutual funds or in a very boring index fund way. I mean, I suppose they're all tiered, but their incentive is to help you make a lot of money to help you keep that money. And so they can continue to grow their book year after year. Right. And so the conversation is everything from, yeah, diversification and performance net of taxes, performance net of, of fees and estate planning. And it's like, okay, there's all different levels of estate planning. And as things get you know more complicated with in a, in a presidential election year, and we don't know what the exemption, the estate exemptions are going to be going forward, what, in two years, there's a lot of work to be done and to, and to stay on top of. That's why we keep having Paul on so that maybe we get in on that estate planning of his. Like, just remember how much we love you <laughs> on, a, on a day like today. Well, then the question then becomes, he's like, what, how much do you want to leave for your kids? Or would you rather give it to the state or I'd, to the government or give it little. to your kids? Give it to Stacking Benjamins. That's right. That's, the Stacking Benjamins <laughs> Fund. The, the foundation. Stacking Benjamins Foundation. We just started it, as a matter of fact, today. Yeah. <laughs> today. It's right odd, now. It's, it's odd that you brought that up. So it's weird. It's a 501c. 
501c2 two and a half something two and a half right right OG, do SMAs with, with all the things Paul's talking about? Does it get better? Does it become more attractive? You think as there's more zeros in your net worth? Well, I mean, I think everything gets more attractive when you have more zeros in your net worth, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I'm not talking about from the advisor's I mean, point of view. I think I get more attractive the more zeros that are in my net worth. <laughs> I don't. I can't say the same about Doug, but you know, no. I think there's there's a benefit of simplicity when it comes to the complicated life around money. It's already complicated enough. You, Paul, you talked about estate planning and charitable giving in jest, but maybe you do that anyways. That's the time and energy you should be spending with your planner and with your family on money. Not, not on, you know, how many shares of Microsoft do I own? Because you can't prove, nor can anyone else, if Microsoft's going to do better than Facebook this quarter or this year. And so who gives a crap? Just own both. Um, it's just it's just easier to do that and spend your energy on the things that are going to have the biggest impact in your family and, and, and beyond. And that's on those other planning related topics, like you mentioned. We will dive more into, if you're just confused by this discussion, what the heck is a separately managed account? We barely covered that. What's the difference between that and the, quote, boring allocations we talked about with exchange-traded funds or mutual funds? We dive into all that in our newsletter, The 201. Head to stackybenjamins.com slash 201, and we will dive in even more. But it's uh, it's interesting to see most advisors going that way. And I do feel like you do, OG, that I think we look at it as competitive advantage, you know, that the the client doesn't know that uh this magic behind the scenes maybe not as much going on as as we'd hope sorry paul but that's that's our that's our take is that the, to some degree there's some smoke and mirrors maybe i hope not but there's some smoke and mirrors happening it's the wizard of oz we'll see i mean the claim is they can add one percent return to the performance every year and that does add up the higher your stack is and so if you're looking at hey i'm living off this corpus of money you know, an extra 1% per year is a sizable increase to your income if that actually happens, you know? If they can do it. If yeah, they can do that'll it. That'll be interesting. If they can do it. It'll be great to circle back and see over time. That's going to be I'll be calling great. in for my new smaller house because I had to sell this one because of all the, <laughs> the options losses that I had. Come down and live in the basement with us. That's exactly what you'll be doing. Hey, time to dive into the joke off. We have this math joke off oh going God. on between all of our all of our stackers who submitted math jokes to us. And Paul, you get to help us. You, you know, you ever watch Dancing with the Stars? No. And they have the, no. <laughs> <laughs> Swing and a miss. I have other to do with my life, Joe. That, that, it's like a I don't watch no. The Masked Singer either. I don't watch Real Housewives. <laughs> well, you get to be one of the celebrity judges on one of those shows you don't watch, Paul, is exactly what's happening okay, here. Good, good, good. And we don't really get a vote. Everybody in our basement Facebook group gets a vote. If you want to join our Facebook group so you get to vote, stackybenjamins.com slash basement gets you directly there because it's a long URL. We are in the second round, Doug. Let's finish up the first round because we've got some results from last week's scintillating competition. Uh, I think one of the last pairings of jokes we had was the four seed versus the 13 seed. Ooh. Yeah. Pretty solid matchup. It could be ripe for upset. Let's see what happened. You may recall that the four seed was, this is a pretty hard time for me financially. Last month, I was unable to pay the bills to my exorcist. And as a consequence, I have been repossessed. <laughs> Fabulous. Against the number 13 seed from Patrick, 
That was Susie, by the way. Uh, Patrick uh, wrote us this one. Math teachers don't die. They just reduce to the lowest terms. Paul, any predictions, Paul, on who you think won between those two? Uh, as a as, as a person who was raised Catholic, I got to go with the exorcism joke. Exorcism joke was actually the winner, 4 beat 13. So uh, Susie moves on in this one. So congratulations, Susie. Right, uh, we'll be writing you, and you're getting a couple books from recent guests that were on the show. Oh, what books? What books? Well, she gets to choose. I got so many of them here, Paul. Jared Dillion's No Worries. Because of all the great guests we have. The, mm-hmm. Should I should I start flexing on all the guests we have, Paul? You should. You should. <laughs> this was Susie Orman, though, who submitted this joke. So she might already have the books. <laughs> I'm sure it was Susie Orman. The yeah. Suze. Yeah. Uh, d- down in the bottom half to finish out the first round, we got the seven versus 10, Doug. Yeah. So that was, uh, I'm going to start with the under seed this time. The 10th seed was... With the ark settled safely after the flood, Noah opens the doors and commands the animals, go forth and multiply. And all the animals departed the ark except for two snakes in the back. Noah proclaims again, go forth and multiply. Yet the snakes stay put. Perturbed, Noah finally asks them, why have you not followed my command? And the snakes flicker their tongues and answer, we can't multiply, Noah. We're adders. Oh, my God. That was from Kevin. (laughs) Versus the number seven. That was, number a very seven long, slightly... that was a very long setup for a very yes. small payout. I love that we yeah. do these uh, setup jokes with comedians in the room. Just the look <laughs> that you guys are missing on Mr. Ollinger's face is classic. <laughs> number seven. Number seven is slightly more efficient. Yeah. What's the difference, Paul, between taxes and taxidermy? I don't know, Joe. What is the difference between taxes and taxidermy? One's cruel and inhumane. The other's dealing with dead animals. Jeff. So Kevin versus Jeff. Who's our winner there, Doug? Uh, that would be Jeff. I think that's wrong. Love you, Jeff. It's great, but I think the adder's joke is so bad. It's good. So missing out in the second round. You ready, Paul, to weigh in now? Now, now you get the flow of this thing. Yeah, okay. How exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. I like it. I like the way you involve your, your guests. Okay. We go to the second round, and uh, we're just doing one here. So everybody ready to vote on this one? We'll give you our idea. Uh, It's the number one seed versus the number nine. The number one seed in the entire game is from Zach. Just lost my job at the bank. Lady asked me to check her balance, so I pushed her over. (laughs) Number one. I I, I pushed her over. (laughs) Wait, Paul. I pushed her over. Oh, God. Still nothing. Oh, God. Uh, Doug, what's the number nine? Number nine is I saw my math teacher with a piece of grass. Nice. Way to to sell it, Doug. Just crushed it. Wait, what? Killing. What just happened? Was I buffering? Doug had a little brain hemorrhage. Wrecked him. Damn near killed him. Yeah. (laughs) 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 All right. Take two. Okay. Take two. Take two. I saw my math teacher with a piece of graph paper yesterday. I think he must be plotting something. That's from Jen. <laughs> yes. Zach versus Jen is they get even better. Ugh. Wait, All what right. was the first one? I've already forgotten. Uh, lost my job at the bank. Oh, checking balance. Yeah. Lady asked me to check her balance. So I pushed her over. I, Those think, are I it. think the graph paper by a tiny margin. Oh, tiny margin. Think number nine seed. OG, which one are you going yeah, for? Yeah, graph paper. Doug? Wow. Uh, I I like the physical comedy, so I like the pushed her over. 
some Stecken Benjamin swag on the line for the winner of this one. We will find out next week and we'll do the other uh, round two uh, this time next week. I like how he's advocating violence against women. That's that's really progressive. Oh, Way, to go, oh Way to go, guys. Way to go. Is that what this show stands for? Is that what you're all uh, about here at Stacking Benjamins? I noticed there's no women on thanks. this call right now. So thanks how- for planting that seed. No, we save the woman. We have three dudes as the four dudes. As the, sorry, Doug, almost forgot uh, Doug. Otherwise but known as the patriarchy. <laughs> we've got four four dudes as the setup act for our main event. Diana Miriam, who's the creator of the uh, economy conference and the woman who's the voice of the optimal finance daily podcast is going to join us for a long discussion about uh, well what she and i have learned over time about money relationships and uh, where we start there so whether you're somebody who is in a committed relationship looking for a relationship just want a better relationship with your money diane and i cover all that but as a way to get there doug i think you've got some trivia while diana comes down Darn right I do, Joe. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I love, love, italics for emphasis, love Valentine's Day. Every year I send dick pics to all the women I went on dates with over the past year, as well as some of the others I'd like to go on dates with. Oh, would you relax? I send him pictures of Richard Nixon. Tricky dick. Get it? (laughs) Tricky dick. (laughs) So damn funny. I really want Joe's mom to have an extra special Valentine's Day this year, and I know she loves weddings, so I invited her over to watch movies that feature my favorite wedding scenes. We're going to watch The Wedding Singer and Wedding Crashers and, and of course, The Godfather, which gives you both a wedding and a bonus horse head scene. (laughs) She's going to love it. Yeah. I'm even cooking a nice dinner for us. I mean, like, you know, most of it. I'm asking her nicely to bring the main course and lovely chicken cordon bleu would be super and of course the green beans because i mean i can't make those and some good coleslaw oh yeah and a salad but hey look on my end i'm picking up a six-pack you know how hard it is to choose a pairing with all of those different foods i just played it safe and i got some keystone light after tonight i bet she'll wish valentine's day was every week today's trivia question is oh there is one there is a trivia question there we're getting there Which country has a holiday on the 14th of every month? I'll be back right after I get some flowers from the grocery store. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to Uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad free privacy. You can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads after trying out Monarch myself. I totally get why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, 
you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested that can increase the potential for compound returns in other words your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread you'll never picture your money in the same way again betterment the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle visit betterment.com to get started investing involves risk performance is not guaranteed Hey there, stackers. I'm canned food chef and real-life Cupid, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You would not believe how crazy the grocery store is right now. Every line was filled with guys buying flowers at the very last minute. I don't know how anyone can forget Valentine's Day. It's always on the 14th. Starting to feel like I'm the only real romantic left around here. Today's trivia question is, which country has a holiday on the 14th of every month? The answer... Not only do they have a holiday on the 14th of each month, but in South Korea, each of those 12 holidays is love-themed. And now, here to chat all about relationships, love, and communication, it's today's mentor, Diana Miriam. And it's weird to not have her do her own intro, because you've heard her do the intro for the show. Diana Miriam's here. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Happy Valentine's Day. And you're not wearing... I wore this shirt for you, Joe. I thought you would show up in pink or red. I should have. I showed up in my beautiful, romantic, bamf <laughs> tourist shirt. <laughs> Look, I've got some lovely flowers behind you me. Did do. you know that I do, I do flower arranging? So this is not special for Valentine's Day. Every single week, I arrange beautiful bouquets for the house. But it just so happens that... It's Valentine's Day and we've got some nice pink roses. You do. Good work. And and you just go buy them and put them around the house. Yeah. So I just go to a regular grocery store. I usually buy a dozen roses and then I look for an, an arrangement of other things that I feel like looks good with the roses and then I arrange them. And I usually do about three different bouquets, one for the living room, one for the kitchen, one for the bedroom. That's fabulous. Yeah. Well, number one, buying yourself flowers, we're going to talk a little bit about today, but tangentially, not that exactly, but really kind of self-care because on a day when there's a lot of relationships and non-relationships, we start thinking about what relationships should we be in? What relationships should we maybe not be in? You're somebody who waited to get married mm -hmm. and really has had lots of different relationships. And, and at Economy, you have speed dating at the conference. You also, a lot of people would call Economy itself like just speed dating friends because in three days you make a bunch of new friends, right? Yeah. How important to you is relationships when it comes to somebody's financial independence journey? 
outside of finances, I think health and relationships are the most important things in life. And when I think about money, money is a tool to allow you to build a life focused on what truly matters. Money itself is not what truly matters. Health and relationships are what truly matter. And so when I think about spending money, that's usually kind of my litmus test. Is this an investment in health or relationships? Great. Swipe the credit card. You know, I'm in the financial position where I'm able to do that. So yeah, there is a connection. But honestly, money is the only thing in life that you can completely mess up and it could be totally fine. When it comes to your health and your relationships, you can actually do irreparable damage there. You have to prioritize them over money. And when it comes to health, you know, we, you started talking about self-care. To me, health is about the relationship you have with yourself. And you cannot love another person until you love yourself, which sounds great as like an Instagram post, right? I read that in a book somewhere a long time ago. And intellectually, I said, yeah, that makes sense. But emotionally, I didn't have a very good relationship with myself. You know, we agreed to record this a month ago when I called you crying because I had this realization. You know, I went and had this crazy experience and I realized how much I actually hated myself. And I healed that. And all of a sudden, I was able to see that all the love and connection I've ever wanted was already there. I just didn't have the capacity to engage in it. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold, hold on a second. Okay. We got, Sorry, we're, we're getting real intense. Well, no, but, but, but with all the intensity, I can just hear people screaming at their device right now going, hold wait, you hated yourself and you healed that. Like you don't hate yourself and then heal that overnight. You don't wake up the next morning and go, I'm healed. Love myself. Good work. Right. So I did something called the Hoffman process, which is basically a lifetime of therapy and healing in one extremely intense week. I wouldn't say I took a shortcut. I think that it is the hardest thing I've ever done. And all of the work that I've done for the last, I don't know, 17 years of therapy kind of primed me to be able to be ready for that intense experience. But don't you feel like even with a week, I'm, I'm sorry, just the concept of being healed. I would think that just based on the conversations we've had, you figured out where the wound is. Yeah. I made a really good head start. I'm still doing the work, right? I'm still processing things. I'm still reaching out to people and having conversations like we had a month ago. You know, I keep feeling like I'm digging deeper and deeper into this. I'm still in what they call my like integration phase after the Hoffman process. The first 90 days are you're continuing the intensity. I'm still in that phase right now. What is the shortcut, the Hoffman method, just for people going, okay, wait a minute, hold on. What's the Hoffman method? What, what does it mean? I would say Hoffman is a masterclass in authenticity. And if I told you what specifically we did there, you would say, what is that going to do for me? It's like you're sitting there and you're doing meditations and visualizations and you're learning about what you've read in self-help books your whole life. I think what makes it different is that you're doing it in a group. So there were like 39 other classmates that I had, a teaching team of five people that are incredibly skilled at what they do. They've been doing this for 50 years and they get 1,400 people a year through and no one ever does it again. 
right? There's no upsell to the Hoffman process. It's like they show you something. Wait a minute, hold on. You don't buy the Tony Robbins book, which gets you no. to the DVDs, which gets you to the event, which gets you to the one-on-one sessions? No, there is no upsell. It's most people go for one week where you turn in your laptop and your cell phone for a week. So it's a complete digital detox. It feels like you go to another planet for a week. You see something that you can't unsee and then you move on with your life. And the work is just the tools and practices that they give you are really basic. It's like I write my appreciation and gratitude every night. I start every morning with a journaling practice to get in touch with myself. It's nothing like earth shattering, but I needed to have that intense experience while I was there to jumpstart my ability to like actually get something out of those practices that I was doing half-heartedly before. It's funny, and I hope it's not lost on all of our stackers hanging out with us, Diana, that we started this conversation about relationships, about self, because that is an aha that I had. And I actually asked you if we could frame it around another book, because you're like, you must have done the Hoffman Method. And I said, yeah, no, I have not. But I did read this book called Bridge Across Forever. And I said, that framed a lot of, a lot of my worldview. And by the way, for those of you that haven't read it, we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit through some of the concepts in Bridge Across Forever, Hoffman Method, which that's why Diana wanted you to define it just a little bit. You don't need to have practiced Hoffman Method to know more than Diana just said. You don't need to have read the Bridge Across Forever to understand what we're going to talk about. When we talk about the book, which we will a little bit, we'll fill you in on exactly what happens. By the way, I don't think it will also hurt your reading of it if you do decide to read it later. I do want to give a couple caveats about Bridge Across Forever. First caveat is, is that this is an older book, so there's some dated stuff going on. Number two is, if you look up the author, Richard Bach, and you look up Richard Bach's relationships, and this is a book about relationships, relationship with self, relationship with money, relationship, mostly though, finding your soulmate. On a day like Valentine's Day, what a better day to talk about the idea of soulmate. And this whole book is framed in what is a soulmate? What is it? What is it not? And what's funny is, is that when you look at Richard Bach, he's kind of like the mechanic whose car sucks because Richard Bach's been married four times. The woman who he's talking about in this particular book, Leslie Parrish, they had kind of a nasty divorce after this. So this dude is not a relationship expert. But he is a great guy at opening your brain to mindfulness really around some of these topics. And what the hell are we doing here? And and why, like, before I go jump in somebody else's lap and, and well, actually, let me frame this a different way. I'm going to frame it one more way. Most of our stackers have heard this scene from a popular movie before. I love you. You? I'm like, just have shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. That's from Jerry Maguire. And of course, uh, she's at a book club. He walks in the book club and the, oh, is all of the women in the room who are ooing and eyeing. And then you see her sister giving them a look because there's two ways to look at this particular scene. The first thing is people that haven't seen the movie or kind of glossed over it think that's a very romantic scene. 
for people that kind of dive into the movie, I thought that was a very disturbing scene, <laughs> as did uh, the main character's uh, sister sitting there going, oh, God, no. Oh, oh, God, no. I don't know. Let's dive into it, though. With all those caveats, let's start here. There's a few concepts in the book that I'd like to talk about. Uh, you haven't finished it, but so far, what do you think? Well, I'm in the first hundred pages and I sent you two pages of notes because it there's so much there. And I'm really, really enjoying the book. And I'm agreeing with like so much that I'm like it aligns with my experience so much. And I'm excited to continue with this character development because he starts out where I'm like, ooh, he gets it. And then he like, I'm in the part now where it's like he loses himself. He doesn't get it. And I'm like, he wait, he doesn't get it. And then I'm like hoping that it comes back around because what he was saying in the beginning, I'm like, oh yeah. You know, he's talking about how like he comes across a million dollars and he doesn't care. And he's got all this like fame and people knocking on his door and wanting him to be on TV. And he's like, no, I enjoy my life. I don't need all this fame and money. And I was like, all right, he gets it. And then it like, he loses that. <laughs> Let's start with that. Let's talk about this idea of where money really sits, because I think Richard Bach does a really good job of this. And especially on a day like Valentine's Day, when people are spending money on Hallmark cards that cost $8.50 or more, people are going out to restaurants, spending tons of money with people they're trying to impress. You know, a lot of that, I think, misses the mark. The book starts off, true story, by the way, he's flying this biplane. He's, he's flying across the Midwest and he lands at a farmer's field and goes up to the farmer and says, hey, if you let me advertise flights in the local town and I get to charge people for flights, I'll take you up for free if you let me land here. And the farmer always goes, yeah, cool deal. So he's up in the air and he's looking down and he says, she's here. She doesn't know that she's here. And I don't know that she's here, but I know she's, she's got to be here, his soulmate. And he lands the plane. Of course, he looks at all these people waiting for a ride and she ain't there. Right? <laughs> she is not there. That in particular, Diana, hit me hard. And it hit me hard for what was to come because it turns out that the more you read Richard Bach, that it all does start with you. You know, we heard that scene from Jerry Maguire. You can't be completed. There's no such freaking thing. And also, I'm thinking about this scene that you're mentioning in the beginning of the book, he's kind of colliding with all these women and he's recognizing how beautiful they are and what good qualities they have, but she's not perfect. So she's not for me. It's not her because she's not perfect. And I was like reading this going like, oh man, like in some ways he gets it when he talks about money and not wanting to be famous. But in that way, when he is not able to appreciate another person, it's because he's so disconnected from himself. It is so funny because we start off any relationship and if you're listening and you're, this is not even just romantic relationships. I think we expect all the relationships around us to complete us. Like I get into relationships. I know Diana, Diana's my buddy because she can complete me in some way by being my friend. Even that you see your friends and you start to pick out imperfections, right? You go, well, Diana's kind of whatever. Let's pick on somebody else. Uh, Brad Barrett. Let's go with the nicest guy in the, in the universe. <laughs> Brad Barrett from Choose FI. You know, he's kind of, you know, whatever. Like we start, <laughs> and I can't even think of anything with Brad because he's so damn nice. So he's the perfect person. But you know what I mean? We start nitpicking because we want them to complete us and be exactly like us. And I love this idea, which by the way, you're not there yet, Diana, and you'll get there in the book. That them completing you is like the wrong freaking mission. 
And the fact that we're different is what's so damn fun about life. Yes. Okay. So I'll say a couple things. I think other people are mirrors to your relationship with yourself. So when you're nitpicking at someone else, it's because you don't have enough self-awareness to see what they're showing you of where your discontent is with yourself. And I will say that, you know, me and Brad are getting married on June 1st, which is our six year anniversary. It took me five and a half years to recognize that he actually is my soulmate. But I was so struggling with my relationship with myself that I couldn't see it. And he could not help me. Like he so desperately wanted to help me through my long battle with depression. I so desperately wanted him to help me, but he couldn't. I had to do it for myself. And once I was able to give that to myself, it's like I see him completely differently now. First of all, I think it is a miracle that he stayed with me for the last five and a half years because I dragged that man through hell. And I really did. He is the most loyal, dedicated, patient person I've ever met in my life. And I had no capacity to appreciate that because I was suffering so deeply. Like, I'm going to get emotional thinking about it. But after I came to this realization and I'm telling him about all this stuff and I'm just expressing so much appreciation for him. And I asked him, like, how did you stay? Because if anyone were to tell me about someone treating them the way that I treated him, I would tell them to get the hell out, you know? And so I said, how did you stay? And he would never use the word soulmate. He would say, I knew we were meant for each other. Mm. And he was willing to wait for me. Like he was willing to sit in the shit for five and a half years and wait for me to come around because he just knew on some level. And I think that concept gives me so much comfort because it makes me feel like, you can't mess it up. What is meant for you, you can't mess it up. And what is not meant for you, there's nothing you can do to force it to be. That gives me so much comfort because for all intents and purposes, I sabotaged this relationship and he stayed. It feels like a miracle. It really does to me. But how do, because, you know, we've got stackers that are listening and, and certainly we're not psychologists. We're not relationship experts. We're just two people that have walked this journey but what do you think the magic is there versus the person sitting there listening to this who's in pretty shitty relationships, somebody's treating them like crap, and they probably should go away? Like, what's the difference between what you and Brad have versus the person who's hoping that somebody's going to change? I think that there is a level of discernment in that if it is abusive, if it is physically abusive, if it is emotionally abusive, it is self-care to get yourself out of there. You know, I wasn't abusive towards him, but I wasn't really nice to be around. <laughs> you know, like I would go through phases where we were really good. You know, like our relationship was really good because I was feeling better for whatever reason for a period of months. But when I was like really depressed, I was laying in bed for five months not participating in life. And so that meant that he would go to work full time, take care of our 11 year old, coach basketball, come home and do laundry, all of the food shopping. He didn't have a partner. I was laying in bed all day while he was doing everything. So it wasn't abusive, but I wasn't participating in our partnership. And it was really hard. I wanted you to say that on the microphone because 
you know, the impression I got from the outside looking in, and this is where we get back to Richard Bach or, or to Jerry Maguire, is that it doesn't sound like he was trying to change you. And I think when you're in a relationship where you want the person to change, the only person that you can change is yourself. We had a great guest on a, about a year and a half ago who still resonates with me, and I use this language all the time. He talks about Diana Penguins. And he talks about, you can do one of two things with your friends. Your friends are all penguins. You can either sit around going, they're effing birds. They should fly. They have wings. Why are they not <laughs> flying? Birds fly and penguins don't fly. Like, that is so stupid. What do they have wings for if they don't fly? And you can sit around and bitch that they don't fly. Or you can go, you know what? They're a penguin and a penguin's not going to not be a penguin, even though they have wings. Like I can look at my friends and go, yeah, you know what? I just hope they realize they're a penguin because I think what he was seeing was that was there's this Diana, this spiritual Diana that I love and I love being around. And I hope she realizes she's a penguin versus him trying to make you a hawk instead of a penguin. Yeah. When I would have moments of being rooted in my authenticity that's what he loved. You know, he knew it was there. It was just buried under all this crap of my trauma and my emotional baggage and my jadedness. You know, I mean, I'm getting married for the first time. I'll be 37 years old. And I'm so grateful that I waited until I'm older because it took me this long to build a relationship with myself you know, and I'm so grateful that I have a partner that was willing to wait. I mean, this is his second marriage, you know, but he learned a lot from his first one. And now we get to co-parent with her. And it's funny because like, I don't think she listens to anything I do, but, and she would not be offended by this, but you know, I had a two hour coffee with her yesterday and we had the most bonding emotional conversation, crying about how much we love these kids. You know, parenting is the hardest job in the world. And I'm doing it with someone that I didn't know and that I didn't understand. And there's so much pain and betrayal when a marriage falls apart. And, you know, and it's really hard to have to now raise kids together. You know, for us, I avoided her for years because I felt so insecure around her. And so being able to heal that in myself, and it, like you said, it's still a process. I'm not like enlightened or anything, right? Like, let's be honest, right? Like I'm still working on it. But like, I never in a million years would think that I could have a deep, vulnerable conversation with her. You called out the wound. Yeah. I said, this is where the wound is. And she knows where it is. You know where it is. Yeah. It's like we had so much tension and uncomfortableness and awkwardness between us. And every time I saw sure. her for trading the kid back and forth, I felt so like so much anxiety and nausea. And like, it was just so uncomfortable. And like, then last night he does this brain bowl. It's like a trivia thing. And we sat next to each other. And we got yelled at by the teacher because we were talking so much. <laughs> and it's like, that's a, that is a ridiculous amount of progress in like two weeks. You know? <laughs> Bach decides that he's going to go search for his soulmate. And what happens is he sells his biplane. He thinks that's all the money that he has. 
And he jumps on a Greyhound bus to go looking for her. And by the way, again, true story. This dude actually did this. And while he's on these long bus rides going from town to town looking for soulmate, he really has these feelings, Diana. There's a lot of internal who am I. Mm. Like the whole thing, he goes through this big, long thing about smoking. I don't know if you're there yet. I had a friend that read this book and stopped smoking after, after he did this because he had enough introspection to go, you know, why do I smoke? What is this about smoking? Like, what does this have to do with life and reaffirming? And what does it really do for me? And for, in some ways, it's like your Hoffman method where it's not a big thing, but the fact that he's meditating on it for so long, it becomes really, I think, this placeholder for the introspection that we all need to have with ourself to enter into not even a romantic relationship on Valentine's day, but any relationship, like the best relationship you can have for anybody else is a better relationship with you. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I was a smoker. I haven't had a cigarette in, I guess, two years now, over two years. And I wasn't like, I don't know. I was kind of a heavy smoker. But I look back on it now and it was almost a little bit of a form of self-indictiveness, you know, that like I used to joke that smoking was punctuation for the day. I was walking to a meeting. I had a cigarette, comma. I finished something. I had a cigarette, period. You know, I had sex. I had a cigarette, explanation mark. You know, <laughs> it's like, why do I need punctuation for the day? But what or it really question is. Mark. Yeah, question mark. Um <laughs> But like, I think of it as anything like that, whether it's smoking, whether it's doom scrolling, whether it's drinking, drinking, distracting yourself from your feelings in any way is a form of self-indictiveness. And it's a form of like, you're not being the adult in the room. We are emotional beings. And when we bury our feelings, we're saying that we don't think we're worth having a relationship with ourselves. You know, when we distract ourselves with all of these kind of destructive behaviors, to me, there's nothing morally wrong with smoking. It's just a little sad that I did that to myself and that I didn't respect my body enough. I mean, like I I had a kind of moment years ago when I was smoking. I mean, this was in college. I had this kind of realization that it felt like I was keying my car. Like I was walking up to my car and I was just keying it. And I felt like it was, I didn't feel bad about it. It just seemed silly. Like, why would I key my car? That's just kind of silly. There's nothing morally wrong with that. It's just silly, you know? And I feel like that about a lot of destructive behaviors. It's funny because I, I think you have to look at that stuff before you have relationships with people. And what's funny was when I stopped caring about relationships with other people so much, and began after reading Bridge Across Forever, I began thinking about the relationship with myself and a healthier relationship with myself. Not in an egotistical way, but just a, nobody's coming to save me. There is nobody that's going to rush in and, you know, the spotlights aren't all of a sudden going to turn on. I am left in my either my own miserable hell or my own heaven, and I get to choose that. And then once I am completed inside, which to your point, you never are, but at least you know the path and the journey, then I can go have a relationship with Diana Merriam and I can actually bring my full self, which is far more powerful. And what's funny is, and people are wondering, what the hell does this have to do with money, Joe? I'll tell you what it has to do with money. Richard Bach then goes to, I think it was, was it an ATM machine or did he get a receipt from some, somebody at the bank? He stops to get what he thinks is a little bit of money out of his bank account. And he sees this number. I think it's an ATM machine and there's two commas in it. 
and he has no idea that his book, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, has made him go from no money, where he thought he had to sell this one plane that he had to look for her, to a guy that has more money in the 1970s than he can ever possibly spend. And what's funny, Diana, and I hope you can you can kind of fill in the story, because I haven't read this in a long time, but how does he feel about all this money now that he's on this self-actualization journey? Well, what I liked about his reaction, and I'm looking at my notes here, I said in my notes to you, I love his reaction to seeing a million dollars in the bank. He's like, well, that's fine. Whatever. What am I going to do with that? You know what I mean? And I was just like, yeah, like I was so excited when I saw that. And then he starts to say, well, what if I could use this money to find her? Right. You know, he kind of gets distracted by it. And and there's a groan. You start to groan. Yes. And, you know, he says... There's a few quotes here where he's talking about his relationship with money. He says, airplanes I can handle, I thought, but money, it makes me nervous. Can money crash? And, you know, I wrote a note here and I said, I think airplanes are actually much more dangerous than money because you can lose your life in an airplane. You can lose your soul with money, but that's a lot easier to fix than losing your life. (laughs) Right? I don't know. I like the other side of that. I think people sometimes don't get afraid enough of how money can destroy your life. I mean, look at these lottery winners. Would it be better to not be a lottery winner? You know, I think that people get the lessons that they need. And, you know, when you come into a big sum of money, like I'm really glad that I haven't. I mean, I think about when I graduated high school, my mom handed me $10,000 and a year later it was gone. Thank God she didn't hand me more than that. You know what I mean? I could have done some real damage with some more money, but I was young and I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, he says this other quote, to be handed a lot of money is to be handed a glass sword blade first. Best handle it very carefully, sir. Very slowly while you puzzle what it's for. You know, like, I think people just have this assumption that if I have more money, I will have more happiness. I'll have more resources. I will, you know, money solves money problems. Money can take away the, the stress of not having resources, but it can't ultimately make you happy, especially if you don't have that relationship with yourself and you know who you are and what you want out of life. People say, oh, just spend money according to your values. How many people actually have a very deep rooted relationship with their own values? Most of us don't because we are so conditioned by society for what society tells us to value. Like that's actually deep inner work to have intrinsic motivation, to really like feel comfortable in your own skin and have contentment and have peace of mind. Money can't give you that. And if you don't have that when you get money, you're going to go looking for it in the wrong places. I think the answer to that rhetorical question you asked, you can get the answer about whether we've looked at our values or not by looking at walk into any shopping mall in the United States and see the number of people that are there and then walk into any financial planning office in the United States. And not that financial planners have all the answers, but the number of people working on their money versus working on retail therapy, which leads nowhere, is I think a great indicator. I love that. I love the fact that money is subservient to the relationship. Like it's relationship first. He gets the money. He's like, yeah, no. And then he starts to go, yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, 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 no. Please, God, don't. Please, no. Don't don't have an idea here. Richard, please, please don't. 
and sadly he does but it does have it does have an, a, a nice ending there's a great chapter i don't think you've gotten there yet about a symphony the symphony chapter is is fantastic and to tell everybody just a little bit about what it is he also likes this idea of newness in in relationships not only does he like the sparkle of his friends being perfect and everybody being perfect and having perfect stuff which totally diana a hundred percent like you i think you nailed it that is a reflection on you not on the other person when you're doing that he also likes it when the relationship is fresh and new I get to meet Diana at first and I don't see any of the penguin stuff that I want her to change. You know what I mean? I can't bitch about that. I'm too wowed by the brilliant Diana that shows up first when she's on and I'm on. And then when we become better friends and I find out that Diana has her quirkiness and I have my quirkiness, well, then I start to pull away because I don't need it. I'm going to go find the next thing. And Leslie writes him this wonderful letter saying that life is like a symphony. And to truly get to know people, you got to get through that, you know, at the beginning of, uh, of Beethoven, you got the, and that's all exciting. But the middle of that is very soft and delicate and much more nuanced and relationships go from big and bold to nuanced. And Leslie challenges him and goes, you can't handle the nuances of real relationships. And it has no reflection of us. It's a reflection of you and you don't know yourself enough, which is funny. I read this book and I said, here on Valentine's Day, I'll say this. I said, I'm never getting married because I don't know myself enough. I can't bring anything to a relationship. I can't bring crap to a relationship if I don't know who I am. It hit me that hard. And it sounds like the Hoffman method hit you the same. Like I got to do some discovery on me. Totally. And I think I had... Before I had this relationship with myself, I had some sense of like, I've always wanted to get married, but I, I said, I need to be with someone for at least five years before I marry them because I wanted to get into the symphony. So I think it's getting through the symphony, but also I needed to have that relationship with myself before I could fully participate in this relationship with him. Yeah. I love this on Valentine's Day because um, there's a lot of people out there that are single that may be thinking what you and I thought at one point. I need somebody to complete. No, you don't. Complete yourself. Right. And by the way, one of the best ways they can complete themselves, how about that for, for a thing, is to go learn a bunch of economy. <laughs> yes. And you know, we're not doing speed dating anymore because we did it one year and actually two steamy relationships came out of that. However... I feel like it was too much pressure in the interaction to have that undertone of romance to it. And so what we're doing instead is on Friday night, kicking off the weekend, we do something called speed friendshipping. And actually Brad Barrett, the nicest man in the world, co-hosts it with me. So annoying. (laughs) Because he's everybody's friend and um, he co-hosts it with me. And so we have this process. It's kind of formalizing. It's like, It's speed networking, like way less professional though. And so you end the evening, the activity with 14 new people that now you know that you may feel more comfortable with going up to afterwards. And so many people in my post-event survey last year, it was the first year we did this, said that that was their favorite time of the weekend. And usually like the people that they met there became their friends over the course of the next two days. So it is a really nice way to start. And if your soulmate is that economy, you're going to collide with them 
just trust that. And if you marry them, I will crash your wedding. And I'll also <laughs> offer to officiate if you're looking for, I think I could be good at that, you know? Um, but yeah, don't, you don't need speed dating to find your soulmate. You need to know yourself. You need to put yourself out into the world and trust that you will collide with them. And just bring the best you work on the best you. Absolutely. Dynamarium. Where can we get our tickets to economy? Cause they're going fast. We are recording this on, well, we're launching this on February 14th, about two weeks away. So they might be sold out. We are like so close to being sold out, but you can go to economyconference.com. You can buy your tickets there and you can get 10% off with the code stacking Benjamins, all one word. There it is. Go do it stackers. And what's funny is, and I know I've complained about this previously, I see a lot of stackers, a lot of people wearing Stacking Benjamin swag when I'm there. And yet Diana has said, and I'm just going to put it out there, nobody's ever used our code. Okay, one person this year, one person used your we code. We finally got one, but come on, it's year, <laughs> it's year, what, four of me supporting this thing. And one person this year has used our code. You know what it is, Joe? You have such a generous audience that they just want to pay full price. So they're not... They're not using your code. Let's prove Diana wrong. <laughs> Use our code. <laughs> Diana Miriam, thanks for hanging out with me. Well, thanks so much for having me. Hey, hey, this is Tiffany Grant from the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. And when I'm not sprinkling business and money gems everywhere, I'm stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Diana Miriam for joining us. And we'll we'll have a link to Bridge Across Forever and to the uh, Hoffman Method on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Hey, time for one stacker that thought they better call Saul, C-Hi, and OG, and Paul, and Doug, in this case. This is the segment where we take a listener call who's wondering, man, maybe you guys can help me with a financial issue we have. If you need to better call Saul, it's stackingbenjamins.com slash voicemail. Today, it was Dave who decided he needed to call us. Dave, what's happening, man? Hey, guys, I'm curious. What do you use for long-term stock market returns? I have seen 4%, 6%, 8%. There's even a guy that says 12%. Over the long-term, the S&P returns about 11 Do you use different numbers for clients, depending on their aggressiveness, conservativeness? Do you use different numbers for yourself, for friends and family? I'm curious... Also, what kind of rebuttals do you use when someone says, oh, the stock market only returns 5% or whatever imaginary number they put in? Thanks. <laughs> Did Dave try to figure out how to finish the call? Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Checked all the boxes. I've said all the words. Dave, thanks so much for the call. Paul, neither you nor uh, Doug nor I have clients, but when you're thinking about returns that you use, what kind of a return do you use in your plan? Well, traditionally like 7%, but uh, my new advisors promised 37% based <laughs> on the SMA that we're going to they're going to All gonna the covered calls that you're going to do. The name Sam Bankman-Fried came up in their yeah. strategy. I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but I just pay them and let them do the magic. There's a, there's a Madoff on the board of directors of your company. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? The Jimmy Buffett song, Madoff, Madoff with all the money. Yeah, that knows lyrics. It's pretty good. Madoff's in prison, like wasted away again in Margarita. <laughs> With his flip flops on in, in jail. Yeah. Bill, here's yeah. what I okay. You know that there's this whole all these Jimmy Buffett retirement homes, right? Like Mar, they're called Margaritaville. Do you know what Jimmy Buffett 
how he explained Margaritaville when he was asked back in the 70s what it was. He said it's the lonely place at the bottom of a Cuervo yeah. bottle. That's how he described what Margaritaville yes. was. And now people are moving there to drink their their <laughs> retirement away yeah. and stroll beaches that are strewn with dangerous canned lids, right? They're, anyway. Sounds like and, paradise. What? I don't get your point. <laughs> I could have a cheeseburger in that paradise, Doug. You're good. You're good. I could. Uh, OG, what return do you suggest that uh, Dave uses? So I just whip out my handy dandy Matrix book that has all of the returns. Oh, thank God he said Matrix of, book. <laughs> of all the asset classes from all time. And uh, we can see here, this is the S&P. I don't know. Can't see it. It's really tiny. Says the S&P averages 10.1 over the last uh, roughly 100 years. I think that the real answer here is you have to be careful with return assumptions that are either too high or too low. Because if you put 10 in there, which is the historical number over the last you know roughly 100 years, and the future gives you 9.8, you're not going to hit your goal. And if you put four in there and you get nine you're going to be saving way too much or waiting way too long or all these other things that are going to delay your financial independence also. So I think it's more realistic to be somewhere in that 7 to 10% range and model out different scenarios along the way and then have a, a process for checking in every so often, maybe every couple, three years to say, well, what am I really doing based on my plan? My plan was seven. I'm getting five. Now, is that because my investment allocation is a little bit more conservative? Is it because... I market timed and got wrong? Is it because some asset class that I have isn't performing the way I anticipated? I need to make some changes. It's important to have a number in mind and then benchmark yourself against your plan. And if for 10 years, you're planning seven and you're getting six, you better change the plan to six. Otherwise, Paul said earlier, 1% is a lot of money over a long period of time, millions of dollars compounded. It can work in the other direction too. You know, if you go from nine to 10, yeah, you have millions more dollars over 30 years. But if you go from 10 to nine, you have millions less. And that is a far worse thing. So, whatever the number you pick, benchmark yourself against what your plan is. Am I, am I attaining what I think I should be doing for my plan? And then you can adjust your savings rate, your financial dependence timeframe, goal, withdrawal rates, all that sort of stuff. This is why I like beginning, Dave, with what you need to do. You know, start off with how much money do I need to save and what rate of return does that mean that I'm going to need to get on that money? Then that's when I look at risk, uh, because then I think, oh, gee, then instead of starting off with one of these, I don't know, silly risk tolerance quizzes people take when they get a new job, they begin with, oh, here's what I need. And then they look at investments historically that have done that and they can go, yeah, no, thank you. Yep. Can't do that. Like, you know, because to your point, if I use the four or five number and and I'm comfortable with the roller coaster that's the stock market, I'm wasting my time saving too much money and not experiencing as much joy today as I could. But to your point on the other side, you know, you already went through that. But I think this is exactly why I don't begin with my assumption. I begin with based on the amount I can save, what return do I need to reach yeah. that goal? Because from a planning standpoint, I mean, if you sat down and I'll give you a great example of this. I was using ChatGPT to kind of just screw around a couple of weeks ago. And I, I think we talked about this on the show maybe three or four weeks ago. And I said, okay, here's my net worth. How much money do I have to save every year to be a billionaire by age 90? 
It was like, you need to save 1.9 million a year. And I'm like, or a month or some astronomical number. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to use the power of time. What if I live to be 110? I give myself 20 more years to get there. And it went, yeah, you're good. You don't need to save anymore. The power of compounding that extra 20 years on the back end is so much more powerful. Sometimes the adjustment factor isn't saving more money or getting a better return. It's just giving yourself another five years in terms of working or in terms of saving, because that really has a profound impact in a really profound way. That's a really dumb way to say that. You're going to be the sugar daddy at the nursing home. You're going to, you're going to have yes. so much cash. Now I'm living to be 140. So I'm like kind of in my prime at 110. That's kind of how I'm feeling. But I think Joe, you said it the best. You have to, from a planning standpoint, figure out what you have to get because you can't say like, oh, I'll just save a million dollars a year then. <laughs> it's like, well, you don't make a million dollars in order to save. Like that's not a realistic oh, yeah. well, you know, plan. You know, So how much can I save? What's my budget? All that sort of stuff. Now, what are the investments that reach the goal that I need? And if that number is my money needs to grow at 13% a year, those investments don't exist in real life. So you have to change something else now, savings or time. I think, Dave, to your second question, what do you do to friends that say the market's only done five? Yeah. I think you just do what you just did, OG. Hold up the real number. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But still, none of this matters in the future, right? It's like... Yeah, that's what it did in 1974, but what is it going to do in 2025? Nobody knows. But over long periods of time, I think there is a, a case to be made for something in the 8, 9, 10 range. When you look at the the amount of debt the average company has, so companies have to be able to pay the they have to be able to pay their debt and then beyond the debt, then they also have to make a return for shareholders or shareholders are going to bail on the company, right? They're going to go, this isn't worth even having the company. Why do we own this company if it never makes any money? So there's mm-hmm. like an acceptable return over and above the debt. So if you look at the average debt is maybe at a four or 5% rate, and then the, the average acceptable appreciation rate that a uh, investor will have maybe is another four or five. I think that's why we look at eight to 10 is specifically for those reasons. But, but, it, right. and to, to think about what has to happen for us to get something as low as five, like just going through the building blocks of how you come up with five, that means the economy's screwed. Yeah. For long periods of time. Ray Dalio's got a great 30 minute video that you can get on his website or it's on YouTube or on the app, his principles app that kind of explain how, <laughs> why this never ending gravy train will pretty much keep on going. It's also the thesis of why he thinks that eventually it does stop. But you borrow money, you reinvest it, you pay that money back, you borrow more money, you reinvest it. You know, that's basically this kind of ongoing cycle of capital creation. But yeah, from a mathematics standpoint, Joe, if you look at it of from the perspective of I can put my money in US treasuries, which are the basis for the safest investments in the world. You can put your money in treasuries and get four or five if I'm going to go buy a stock, I better get something north of five. Otherwise, I'll just put my money in treasuries. And it better be a multiple of five, right? It's not, it's, I'm not going to take 5.2 for all of the potential of the business going out, out of business and all that other sort of stuff. It needs to be a, a bigger percent than that. Man, you guys are smart. I, I, I should listen to your show more often. <laughs> <laughs> See, Paul, I just think, I think if you truly want something romantic... 
yeah. today. Yeah. Just sit around this show with Mrs. Ollinger. And, oh my and, God. I'm afraid I'd lose her to you guys. Cause you know, <laughs> yeah, you guys are the one. You have you looked in the mirror lately, Paul? What's that? <laughs> Do you know my wife? <laughs> Doug. <laughs> You've been trolling around Atlanta, the suburbs of Atlanta. Let's uh, let's head on back uh, to the end of the show spot we call the back porch. Before we do that, if you're somebody who's here, not because you're looking for the perfect aphrodisiac for your friend, you're actually thinking, you know what? I think I need better help in my corner. OG and his team are taking clients. So I just stackybenjamins.com slash OG. And that's the link to their calendar to get on their calendar and talk more about maybe five percent being wrong and maybe that 12 percent guy being a little wrong as well i love the irony of it taking joe three tries to say aphrodisiac i think there's some <laughs> just say money because money is the greatest aphrodisiac it's time for us to walk out to the last section of the show which we call the back porch and paul you have been on the road a lot lately I want to ask you, we asked Lisa Curry, uh, who you referred us to, by the way, You're our welcome. brilliant writer You're of welcome. the show. Thank You're you very welcome. much. But let's ask you some of the questions, like going out on stage, before you go out on stage in front of an audience. Do you dozens and dozens of people. <laughs> I was just going to say several <laughs> people. A handful of people. Right. At every PTA meeting you perform in front of. I'm not a comedian, but I think I'm pretty funny. That's what uh, people have said that about this show. So do you get nervous before you go out on stage? Depends. Depends. I had a show at the Hollywood Improv last year. On the show was Greg Fitzsimmons, Melissa Villasenor, Taylor Tomlinson, and a few other people. <laughs> and I'm like, and you, this is a solid lineup and I want to do well. And I, my heart rate was just racing before I went out. And I went out and I had a great set. But when it's really, you know, a place that you want to do well, you, it's, it's real easy to overthink it. How do you deal with hecklers? I don't really have heckler problems. I mean, I perform in pretty reasonably run places, so I don't get a lot of unruly people. It's generally people that want to, with all the crowd work videos that are on social media now, a lot of what's happening is that crowds start to think that they're part of the show. And so they're like, talk to us. And it's like, it, it's more of people talking back to you than it is heckling. And so that's, and you just kind of go, now I know you were hot in high school, but you're not part of this show. You know, this isn't, this isn't where you have a voice. This is where I have a voice. And so you just have to sort of navigate around people who... This is the same conversation we have with Doug. Right, Doug. Every week. Pipe down, bro. We're like, this is where this is where Joe and I talk, and you just, you're just there. We'll let you know when it's Paul, time. Well, his favorite line is, Doug, the adults are talking now. Oh, I haven't said that in a while, but that's a good <laughs> it's one. It's painful. It actually hurts me when you say that. It, that, that is mean. That's very, yeah. very mean. You haven't said that to anybody in the audience, though, have you, Paul? The I haven't said talking. anything. The the adults are talking. I haven't said that, but now no, I've said to. that. I mean, you know, the, it's <laughs> I have said that the line about I know you were hot in high school because a lot of times it's that person who's always felt entitled to participate where they don't belong, and so that's one of the ways you can shut it down. What's up with, by the way, all the crowd work videos on Instagram and TikTok lately? Because it seems like from comedians, 80% of what I see right now is just them talking to the crowd. Two reasons. Number one, the algorithm seems to like it. And the most important gatekeeper in comedy and any art form today isn't, isn't uh, somebody at, at a talent agency. It's the algorithm. And so you give the algorithm what it wants. Number two, crowd work is renewable and it doesn't burn material. So 
you don't have to worry about putting all your jokes online because it's this uh, orga- it's suppo- this sort hmm. of supposedly organic thing. But it's changing comedies because people are doing more and more crowd work because they want to generate more and more clips. More clips generate more views, more views, more followers, et cetera, et cetera. Paul, uh, fly me to your show. We can stage some crowd work. I'll be the guy in the in the audience. <laughs> Plant me with live, a couple of Doug? comments. Is it public? Does the stacking Benjamin verse know where you live? Occasionally, we have let out that I live deep in the woods of northern Michigan. Ah, oh, well, yeah, I was actually where the, just... Where the authorities uh, like to keep me. Yes. And then he commutes to work in Texarkana. Yeah. Texarkana. <laughs> uh, I, w- I was in Austin last month. Nothing's planned for Michigan anytime soon, but looking for excuses to go to northern Michigan during the summer because it's beautiful. That's true. Also it's... for the uh, everything in Michigan, nothing is planned. Road work, <laughs> no, population no. growth. The state of Michigan, I don't think, has ever heard of planning when it comes to that type of <laughs> that type of planning. If Michigan yeah. gets through this election year without a revolution, I'll go. Oh my goodness, <laughs> oh that's a whole different podcast. Yes. Welcome to the uh, We Got Sidetracked podcast. Uh, you are going to be, by the way, in some amazing place. You're at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco on the 22nd. Zany's in Nashville on the 28th. On April 19th to 20th, uh, DC Comedy Loft. You're in Denver on April... May 3rd and 4th. May 3rd and 4th. Thank you. And in uh, Cary, North Carolina at the Cary Theater. I love Cary, North Carolina. Uh, 517. By the way, we were thinking about moving to Cary. True story back in 2001, 2002, right in the middle of the tech wreck. If I had bought a house in Cary in 2002... I think I'd be a bajillionaire. I think it'd be a, a trillionaire. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Gotta avoid that. Gotta avoid that. That's don't take his example, listeners. Live with what you, with the decisions you've made, and be happy with them. Don't shit all over yourself, Joe. Yeah. Thank you. In Texarkana, you guys are so uplifting. It's fantastic. Paul, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. I love you guys. Happy Valentine's Day. I wish we could all get together and wrestle. It's epic. <laughs> Sorry, did I say that out loud? Oh my God. I'm just trying to talk about love. I'll wear my shirt. I'll wear a shirt. Doug, what should we have learned today? Let's get out of this. <laughs> well, Joe, here's what's stacked up on our to-do list today. First, take some advice from Diana Merriam. Looking for great relationships? Instead of trying to change the people around you, begin looking inside. You can't change other people, but you certainly can focus on our outlook and world. Second, take some advice from today's headline. Your advisor, it's not about fancy, it's about results, no matter where you get them. If you have an advisor, meet with them to revisit your process and outcomes if you aren't sure. There's a great to-do for you. But what's the biggest to-do? Do not suggest to Joe's mom that she'd probably be alone on Valentine's Day if it weren't for you. Oh, God. She does not like to be vulnerable and give credit to men for being romantic. At least, that's the way I took it. Yeah. Thanks to Diana Merriam for joining us today. You can find tickets for Economy from our link at economy.com and use code STACKINGBENJAMINS, all one word, for 10% off. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Please use it. Thanks also to Paul Ollinger for joining us today. You can find his podcast, Crazy Money, wherever you're listening right now. Also, check out Paul's comedy shows on February 22nd at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco, February 28th at Zany's in Nashville. Aren't they all called Zany's? Uh, April 19th and 20th at the DC Comedy Loft, May 3rd and 4th at the Denver Comedy Lounge, and May 17th at the Cary Theater in Cary, North Carolina. 
This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2024, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. This show is written by Lisa Curry, who's also the host of the Long Story Long podcast, with help from me, Joe, Kate Youngkin, Karen Repine, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Wonder how beautiful we all are? Of course you do, but you'll never know if you don't check out our YouTube version of the show, engineered by Tina Eichenberg. Then you'll see once and for all that I'm the best thing going for this podcast. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude, Stacy Doe, and Julia Garib are our social media coordinators, and Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. For more interactive fun, join us on Instagram every Tuesday and Thursday for our Instagram Lives. Kate Yonkin and Joe host those weekly. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.